right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Prepare for Impact podcast. I'm your host, Connor Bland. And this week, we have a very esteemed guest with us, uh, Dean Carlson, the the president himself of OC. Um, We are so thankful to have him here with us. And and this week, we are going to be talking with him about uh, some of his time spent on the mission field in Africa. And he had a recent trip there with his son, Todd. And uh, we're just going to hear from him and hear what God's been doing in Africa as well as what... uh, uh, they did while they were there. So we hope that you guys will stay tuned and join us. Okay, well, first off, Dean, welcome. Uh, thank you so much for being willing to be a part of uh, our Prepare for Impact podcast. Today, we also have Lydia and Jeff here uh, with yep. with us Hello. as well. And and Dean, why don't you uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Well, hey, Connor, it's great to be with you all. And this is it's my first time to be actually here in person, but I've listened to the broadcast and I really appreciate the ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. So I serve as president of OC, but I've been involved in missions since well my 20s. Went to Africa with OC at age 29 and spent 20 years in first Eswatini, seven years living there, and then 13 years in South Africa, and then ended up working across the continent with OC. Mm-hmm. And absolutely love what God is up to. Yeah. And Absolutely. how he's on the move in the African context. Yeah, that's great. Um, Eswatini. Yeah, Eswatini. Used to be called Swaziland. Swaziland. Right. Okay, so yeah. can you Eswatini. explain that actually a little bit? That I, I had something recently. Somebody else had said that. I'm I'm not quite sure what the context is of, of Swaziland and Eswatini. Is it is it the same thing? They just changed the name? Or? Yeah, Eswatini was a name that is historic for the Swazi people. And okay. so on, I think it was the 50th anniversary or 60th anniversary of the uh, independence from Great Britain, okay. King Mswati III just pronounced, we will now from this day onward be called Eswatini, rather okay. than Swaziland, which was more of a name given to them by the colonialists previously. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so even though you still see it as Swaziland on maps and stuff like that, it's, it's going to take time to change. Okay. All right. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about this most, uh, or well, actually, why not some history? Um, you, you talked a little bit there about your um, 29 years in Africa, but maybe um, what what was the primary goal maybe when you uh, first landed in Africa uh, for your ministry while you were there? Yeah, well, we actually had 20 years in Africa, and oh, I joined a team of great OC um, veterans as a young younger leader, and it was a great opportunity to learn from them. And they had a big vision, a small team with a big vision to see the body of Christ come alongside the body of Christ in the various countries of Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. and to help them to achieve their vision of the Great Commission in and from their nations, which okay. means a church within an easy walk of every home, say in Zimbabwe. Okay. That led to a national goal of about 10,000 churches to be planted in a period of eight years. And OC okay. was part of helping to full, develop a strategic partnership with 60 denominations. Yeah. And it's amazing when teamwork comes into play and there's a God-given vision with good research as to this is the situation, this is the goal, and what took 100 years to plant 10,000 churches in Zimbabwe hmm. because of this team effort was replicated in eight, in eight years. We saw wow. 10,000 wow. churches planted in eight years. Wow. wow. That's incredible. Um, okay. And, and and so primarily what was your uh, your position during that? You said that you were a young leader, but what, what were you doing kind of on a maybe a, a day-to-day or a week-to-week basis when you were, when you were living in, um, in Africa? Well, I found that you know, by I arrived at age 27, and by age 29, I found that I was appointed the field director. So I was a very oh, young okay. field director out of my league, over my head, 
sure. et cetera. But it gave me opportunity to trust the Lord and to rely on collaboration to mm-hmm. move forward. Okay. And so we did have the chance to come alongside significant national leaders, African leaders that had a real vision for their country, develop friendship, uh, take a journey together, begin to ask common questions. What would a disciple Zimbabwe or Swaziland look like? Mm-hmm. What would it take to get there and how can we help you? Yeah. That led to the, the development of these strategic partnerships across the country that uh, involved many different groups, many denominations, and it created an environment where these African leaders could learn from one another, mm. share what's working best, stories, et cetera, and inspire one another to go further. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you're saying is a lot of what you did there and probably a lot of what kingdom workers, missionaries around the world do is based in relationship. Absolutely. It's like coming alongside somebody, getting to know who they are, finding out how they tick, finding out what their needs are, coming along and helping them. And and really, it's just all based in growing relationships with people on the day-to-day. That made all the difference in the world. What an African leader did not want to see was a foreigner coming and dropping their briefcase, spilling forward all these great plans for their lives that were developed outside of their country by someone else. Right. They said, we are mature leaders. We can hear from the Lord as to what he wants to see happen in and from our country. Come alongside us. Join us in a journey. Let's re- relate in kingdom relationship and together discover what God would have for us in the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. The other way sounds very colonial, actually. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Which... like, hey, we're coming in as the big brother and we're mm-hmm. going to, you know, show you how it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so would you uh, would you mind sharing a couple of stories maybe that... Uh, Ones that maybe stick out the most to you, maybe most significant, or um, whether that's in terms of the impact that it had on, on Africa or maybe the impact that it had on you or your family while you were there. Um, I know recently you went on a trip with uh, with Todd, as we talked about in the intro. Um, maybe you could give just a couple of, I'm sure you have hundreds of stories uh, to share, but are, are there some that really stand out as far as impact maybe for uh, the culture, maybe for one, or, or the country for one? Um, you as another, and maybe one for your family. Oh, yeah, there, there are so many stories. I mean, there's, where, where does one begin? I, yeah. My mind is drawn to our dinner table mm-hmm. and the, the African leaders from different countries that we had staying overnight in our home. And then uh, when they would gather for dinner, we would ask for permission for them to tell their stories to our kids mm-hmm. that grew up there. We had a, two boys and a girl. Mm-hmm. And to ask permission, kid, would you mind if our kids ask questions about what it was like to grow up in Angola? Mm-hmm. Of a leader there that was arrested for his faith when he got because he stood up for Christ in his Marxist university, mm-hmm. and then when he got out, he he would traverse by foot across minefields to take wow. the gospel to other uh, unreached villages and places in Angola. Wow! And they sat around our dinner table and told those stories to our kids. Just to, and our kids were inspired as to mm-hmm. what God can do with a life or a mm-hmm. person like Solomon Fasamati who was destined to be a, um, a chief, or they call him a king in his tribe in okay. Nigeria. And he left that, and he became a missionary in Eswatini. We wow. became very good friends. Mm. And uh, it was, Solomon was used to help to mobilize and equip leaders across the country. And we traveled all over the place with him in mm-hmm. doing so. Yeah. And he would tell those stories to our kids and just believe in our kids and inspire them as to what they could do yeah. as they grew up to make a difference. Mm. So that's really, I, you know, this is really cool because I don't think most people... See, there's another one of those words we talked about in the sip. Cool. cool. Um, but, but I don't think most people think of it this way. I, I, when we talk about missions, I think, and, and when we think about missions from our context, we almost always think about how we're going to impact the culture. Mm. But what you're talking about is how the culture actually impacted 
your family totally. and, and really inspired your kids to become who they are today. Absolutely. So we, we almost never think about that, and we rarely even talk about it as mm-hmm. mobilizers. But mm-hmm. that's something we probably should bring out a lot more is, hey, this is going to be a two-way street. Yeah. And it's not like you're going to go there and impart all this wisdom. You're going to be learning along mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would encourage as African leaders to build into my kids' lives. And mm-hmm. there's a mutuality to the journey. It's learning together as peers, following either we're kids of the king, following him on a common path. And there's certain things that we can add to them as we understand their needs and passions and visions to help strengthen them and enable them to fulfill their God-given vision. And there's plenty we can learn from them in terms of mentoring us, uh, the privilege of being invited into their journey and into their lives, into their homes, into their families mm-hmm. is an amazing gift and privilege. And so it's very much mutual as mm-hmm. together then we talk about what would God want to do to impact the nation or nations through our work together? Mm-hmm. And how can we connect yet other leaders whether other African leaders from different countries or international leaders mm-hmm. to help uh, to advance the, the work of the kingdom together. Yeah. No, those, those are those are incredible uh, stories, and I'm sure incredible times. Uh, and I know from, from knowing Rob and Todd um, somewhat well, I wouldn't say really well, but um, growing up with, um, I guess, younger than both of them, but uh, knowing them a little bit and hearing from them the, the impact that that had on their lives, I think, is really really something special. Um, so why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about this, uh, recent trip that you had just, uh, what was that a few weeks ago, a month ago, uh, with, with your son Todd and, and what that meant to you, uh, and, and Todd, and then, uh, how that is, uh, maybe how that revitalized you or how that was just special to you both. Absolutely. Well, as a prelude, prelude to that, we felt like it was such a privilege to raise our kids in Africa. Mm. They grew up in church in Soweto where Mandela was uh, raised. Oh. And in, just in the post-apartheid era where there were very few expatriates that would drive in and go to church in those areas. It was actually quite dangerous in those days. Mm. Mm. Um, but we tried to help them uh, develop a heart that they could make a difference even as kids. Mm. Mm. And so I remember one situation where we were going to Mozambique. It was just after the Civil War was winding down. Mm. And we thought, you know, let each of the kids pick a number of their toys mm. and ask the Lord who he would have them give them to in Mozambique. Wow. And as we crossed the border from Swaziland into Mozambique, uh, the convoys had just stopped going. Mm. We counted 120 burnout and shot up vehicles wow. in the wow. course of about 30 kilometers. Oh wow. Uh, and we finally got into these villages and it was really, really precious to see our kids pray and then give to Mozambican kids some of their own personal toys. Mm -hmm. That kind of began to implant within them the fact that they have something to give, even as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so it was incredibly gratifying then when Todd, who now is 27, he's a nationally certified paramedic, full-time employed, married to a nurse in Boise. Mm -hmm. Uh, He'd grown up in in Africa, went to university in the U.S., married a Portland girl, and, Mm -hmm. and they live in Boise today. But he said, Dad, you know, I love growing up in Africa, but I never went on enough ministry trips with you. Mm-hmm. I would love to go with you on a future ministry trip. And mm-hmm. so just so happened, I was invited to back back to Zimbabwe and South Africa mm-hmm. on a trip, back to engage with a national task force that I had once served on in Zimbabwe, the guys that saw the 10,000 churches planted, yeah. where they were continuing the movement's 30 years in the making. Wow. And they were at a time of leadership transition, and they wanted uh, some of the, one of the founders or the, one of the guys that was one of the guys that was there in the early days to come help them think through leadership succession, mm-hmm. a new um, three-year strategic plan, 
And I thought we could we could build this out further. And Todd, this might be a great trip for you to come. Yeah. So as a paramedic, he talked to his friends and he raised about $6,000 worth of uh, medical and first aid supplies, loaded our suitcases up. We got through customs and, and Harare, went up to the town of Bindura. Okay. And there he had opportunity to, as a paramedic, as my equal now, he, mm. he was no longer, he's still my son, mm. but he wasn't a subordinate. He was my full equal as we ministered together on this ministry team. Yeah. And it was amazing. He treated 121 villagers, mm. uh, some uh, lady with deep burns in her hand. He tr- cleaned the wound and treated that out. Mm. You can't get medical supplies in Zimbabwe these days. Mm. Even if you visit a doctor, you can't afford it and they can't, they don't have medicines mm. oftentimes. It's mm. really desperate there. Mm-hmm. So for him to come equipped and to minister to people like that was really special. And I was his assistant. He was the main guy. And I was there handing, you know, yeah. packets of vitamins and various things. Mm-hmm. But then we did two pastors conferences also. Mm-hmm. And I did one segment on the idea of going the distance mm-hmm. or finishing well. Mm-hmm. And I talked about how many leaders begin well, but they don't finish well. Many of them in scripture and today as well. It's one of my life themes. Mm-hmm. And so I talked about my own journey as a guy who's now beginning to enter the the latter third of my leadership and what's that looking like now as I try and run strong and one day finish well. But then I had Todd share as a leader, an emerging leader who's just starting out. He's not a pastor, but he's, he's involved in the leadership of his youth group at church, a large church in Boise. And, and he's trying to lead through his um, network of friends and in his vocation. And so he talked about what that looks like for him starting out as a leader and then afterwards, after he shared, I just went over in front of these this group of pastors and church leaders, put my arm around him, and said, "I'm just I'm just so proud of my son Todd, mm-hmm. as he's trying to be to begin well as a leader." And uh, and I just that that simple affirmation, that visual of putting a dad putting his arm around his son in front of other leaders, mm-hmm. somehow rung a chord in those African leaders' lives. Mm-hmm. And the next speaker that got up and said, "Whoa, how many of us?" as African leaders have stood in front of a group of other people and put our arm around our son or daughter and affirm them in, in terms of their saying yes to God as a younger leader. We need to do more of this, uh, they said. And so that meant so much to me for Todd. He had been doing his paramedic work in a wooden shack outside of the pastor's conference area. Mm-hmm. For him to come in for that segment, a brief 30-minute segment, mm-hmm. that for that kind of uh, visual to be given and then the impact to be had, and the feedback to be received from these African leaders just meant so much for me to have Todd as my equal teammate in the ministry, that the, the hope we had had as parents that he'd really grab onto God's purpose for his life, it was playing out in a beautiful way that was impacting lives right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Talk about fulfillment and joy as a dad. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's, I can't even imagine Yeah. That. That's so... Beautiful and lovely. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, um, sorry, little teary. Um, one of the, one of the questions that I had is you were, you were saying something before that story, um, about your, your time going to Mozambique after the civil war was ending. Um, maybe you can share with, because I know that for, especially for families that safety can, and especially safety with your kids, um, in another culture and internationally can be something that's, that can be mortifying. Um, and how, how did you and Kathy uh, really, I, I guess the best way I could describe it is push, back, like push past that, that fear of, of something going wrong with your kids with you in, in another country? 
Yeah, we had to really contend with that. I think we had to make a decision of what kind of lives do we want to live mm. um, and how much risk is a reasonable risk and what is off the charts. Mm. We tended to, we decided we want to be risk takers as yeah. a family and we don't want to live safe lives or we want to live courageous lives, mm. not stupid. Mm. Um, Kathy was a little nervous as we were going and seeing all these burnout tr- uh, trucks and, and vehicles and yeah. um but nonetheless, we pushed through to Maputo. Mm. When we went to Soweto, again, apartheid was just finishing. They had, mm. they were necklacing people, which means they were putting tires and filling them with gas and lighting people aflame. Wow. That had just finished where we were going into church. Wow. Um, there were shootings and stuff. And the first um, Sunday we were in that church, our little son got beat up mm. by some of the kids in Sunday school. It was kind of reverse of apartheid. Mm. But we realized if we were going to make a difference, then we got to experience what local people experience all the time. And we yeah. cannot be averse to that. We have to press into life as they experience it mm. and do it with them. And I'm telling you, uh, we tried not to be stupid. We were sure. risk takers, but the payoff was phenomenal in oh, terms yeah. of the trust that it engendered in mm-hmm. the lives of significant leaders who then opened doors for us and invited us in on a journey. In their lives, whether they were leaders or just people in the congregation in Soweto, they, we were invited as friends. In, in some ways, we became soulmates to them, yeah. and they were our mentors, and it was just a beautiful journey taken together. It wouldn't have happened if we were risk-averse mm. and um, not willing to step out a little bit. And so we've also, also tried to have our kids be adventurous. Yeah. So whether it's climbing mountains or learning to, to scuba dive in Mozambique or rafting the Zambezi River, mm. we've always tried to press the envelope and do a little crazy and outrageous stuff just mm-hmm. to plant within them that it's fun and it's great to be adventurous in all aspects of life, ministry, outdoor adventures, etc. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, think, I think too, one of the things, it, this is going to be different for every family. You know, I mean, because yeah. you know your kids, you know your own limitations and stuff like that. So I think as we, as you think about that and how that might apply to you if you go cross-culturally or if you are cross-cultural right now, I think you need to be wise in making those decisions for in your own context. Exactly. Because, you know, I know Guatemala, where we were, it would be a... a Similar thing. We were there during Civil War. Yeah. You never knew whether a roadside stop was where they were guerrillas or or normal army military people, and there were a lot of those roadside stops. Mm-hmm. But you you know we're responding in obedience, right? So yeah. if you're responding in obedience, you take what comes, mm-hmm. and I think you just have to use wisdom in knowing what risks are appropriate to take, and and leading your kids forward, or and and what risks shouldn't be in that context, you know. So yeah, it, yeah. it's very much driven by who you are and, and, you know, the decisions you have to make in that moment. And it's right. guided by friendship. And that's why it's so right. important true, to have true. insiders who are on the ground that love you, know you, they know your heart, and they know when to say, you know, it's better for you not to come this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we right. and listen yeah. to them. And there were times mm-hmm. when they, they told us, oh, there's some there's some chaos going on, there's some riots out there. You better not come this time. Mm. And so we listened to them. And yeah. so they protected us because we were friends. Yeah, no, that's that's great. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I don't have kids. So it's not necessarily the context that I have in life. But to hear how empowering it is to be able to take risks. I think sometimes we like, people like to travel and to do things adventurous. But risk taking is frowned upon sometimes in our culture. And so to hear just like, you have permission to be risky. Like, 
If yeah. I can live with a, our young family in Africa during the midst of a civil war, you have permission to do that for God too. So yeah. that's really cool. No, that is that is really great. And and I think the last question that I have for you, Dean, is that um, what what would you say to a family that is listening to this or an individual who's listening to this podcast and they're saying, I really want to go and, and be a part of the ministry in Africa? Um, of course, we hope that you come through OC and the mobilization department's always here listening. We'll give you the info for that later. But um, what what would you say to them to encourage them maybe as they're as they're considering uh, bringing uh, bringing themselves or their family to Africa to serve in ministry. Well, if you're talking Africa specifically, maybe we could talk of other parts of the world also. But sure. I consider it such a privilege to uh, to take a journey with Africans and to come alongside them as a, a friend, asking questions, etc. I think one has to come with a curiosity. Lord, what are you up to mm. in the situation? What are the real needs here? Not assuming you know what they best need, mm. but asking legitimate questions with them, taking a journey and allowing them to answer in their own time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, that opens doors to to ministry that can be transformational. Mm. And so uh, our OC Africa team has helped asking the small questions of individuals. Well, Lord, are you doing in this person's life? How can we partner with you in this person's life to see the kingdom advance? But we also ask the bigger questions. What are you doing in the entire nation of South Africa or Swaziland or Mozambique or across the African continent? How can we come alongside key leaders that... Mm current generational and next generational leaders to help empower them mm-hmm. to fulfill the vision God's given to them. So yeah. there's tremendous opportunities, but it's all about the attitude. It's mm-hmm. about the posture of the heart. And Africans can read your heart in a second. Mm-hmm. If you come with a colonial mindset, which is still prevalent right. today, mm-hmm. that we know what's best for you, they're going to read that. They'll be polite to you, but they'll keep you at an arm's uh, distance. Mm-hmm. But if you are humble and a true learner, they see your heart is surrendered to the Lord and surrender to them that will open a door to a deep and wonderful transformational journey that I think uh, anyone would want, would want to take. Yeah, and, and that speaks so uh, so well to just what OC's vision is around the world and coming alongside local leaders uh, and the local church and being able to um, empower them and give them uh, what they're asking from us. And that it's not, it's not that we're bringing something better because we're born in the 1% of the world wealth-wise. It's not that we have the luxury to be able to go and and uh, and spend thousands of dollars on flights to go to Africa. It's really about the relationships that you build and and encouraging them in in what God is doing in them and in, in their culture and in their people to be able to really um, create an impact. I mean, and that's that's really what our podcast is about, and, and that's why I'm so excited that, that we had uh, Dean on today, just that, that Dean is very, as you guys know now after listening to all this, is just very passionate about all these things that he um, that he does. And, and Africa is not the only place. They travel all over the world visiting different mission fields. And like you were saying earlier, just that the same can be applied to all, all the different uh, uh, ministry fields around the world. But that, um, you know, our, our goal here at Prepare for Impact is, is that we're preparing not only you to go and, and create impact where you where you go, but also to be impacted yourself. And I think that uh, through Dean's stories that we've heard today, that we can really um, see that, that the, the impact that it's made on him and his family. And uh, and I can say just from from knowing Dean and his family for a while, seeing his name in the uh, we, we grew up in the or I grew up in the, the church that's one of the churches, I'm sure, that supported the Carlsons. And so being able to 
go back and read some of those old letters that we saw. Um, it's just very, it's inspirational. And, and I hope that it has been inspirational for you guys too. Um, I want to thank you again, Dean, for, for coming on and, and being a part of this. And we uh, will definitely be praying with you and for you as you uh, um, continue to do your, your, I guess, presidential duties uh, all around the world and, uh, and continue to be a part of the ministry that God is doing. Um, so for you guys who are listening, uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can always reach us on our social media, which is Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Prepare for Impact. You can also email us at any time at mobilization at OCI.org. If you want to get in touch with Dean because his stories have impacted you in some way or another and you want to encourage him, please reach out to us and we can get that message um, on to Dean. And I'm sure he would be more than happy to, to, to read those uh, words of encouragement. Yeah, but for now, we, we thank you guys again so much for listening. And we will see you on Monday for another episode of The Sip. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.